Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Mark chapter 5, verses 21 to 43. Verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed over again in the boat unto the other side, a great multitude was gathered unto him, and he was by the sea. And there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and beseeched him much, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. I pray thee that thou come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be made whole and live. And he went with him, and a great multitude followed him, and they thronged him. And a woman who had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse, having heard the things concerning Jesus, came into the crowd behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch but his garments, I shall be made whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her plague. And straightway Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned him about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that he had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had been done to her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, your faith had made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. While yet he spoke, they came from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying, Your daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the teacher any further? But Jesus, not heeding the word spoken, said unto the ruler of the synagogue, Fear not, only believe. And he suffered no, and he suffered no man to follow with him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and he beholdeth a tumult and many weeping and wailing greatly. And when he was entered in, he said unto them, Why make ye a tumult and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed him to scorn, but he having put them all forth, taketh the father of the child and her mother and them that, that were with him and goeth in where the child was. And taking the child by hand, he said unto her, Talitha Kumi, which is being interpreted, Child, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the child rose up and walked, for she was twelve years old. And they were amazed straight away with a great amazement. And he changed them much that no man should know this. And he commanded that something should be given to her to eat. 
This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray as we come to God's word together. I, Father God, I pray simply that uh, the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, amen. It's amazed me how um, school lunches have changed over the years. Um, I, I'm one of four boys, so uh, our school lunches every day almost of my school life were Vegemite and cheese sandwiches. So, uh, so on Sunday night, my, my poor mum, we didn't help her enough, uh, we each had three Vegemite and cheese sandwiches every day. Um, so we'd make, that's 12 uh, times that by five, you get 60 sandwiches that needed to be made on Sunday nights, and then they were bagged up, and then they were put in the freezer. So in the morning, we would just get up, grab our Vegemite sandwiches, and off we went to school. Now, I then, as I grew up, uh, was lucky enough to have my own two girls, and um, I started to make lunch for them, but in about first grade, I was sacked because Vegemite and cheese sandwiches didn't cut it. Like, they now lived in beautiful, multicultural Sydney, and they've discovered these worlds of uh, amazing delight. So I'd, I'd walk into the kitchen, and my daughters would be making school lunch, and I'd say, what, what are you making, girls? And I'd be, oh, just teriyaki chicken on a bed of udon noodles, or it'd be, you know, fried chicken on a bed of couscous, and... Um, but as I heard about all these delights, I did think of this whole handball dilemma. The beauty of the sandwich is it's, it's simple structure, A, B, A. It's like food with handles, right? And you could sh consume it quickly and then rush off to handball. Now, when it comes to the Gospel of Mark, now I hope you're still with me after that, but Mark, Mark loves uh, what... Some scholars have called the Markin sandwich a simple A, B, A structure when he tells a story. So often, nine times, scholars debate about the exact amount, but they reckon at least nine times in the Gospel of Mark, Mark starts telling us a story about Jesus, and then he stops, and then he starts telling another story about Jesus, and then, and then he comes back to the initial story to finish it off. And Tom Wright says this about this method of telling a story. He says, The flavor of the outer story adds zest to the inner one, and the taste of the inner one is meant in turn to permeate the outer one. So the two stories told together tell us more than each story could ever tell us told individually. So I wanted to take you to one of those today, and it's the story that begins with um, telling us the, the events around the healing of Jairus' daughter. Then in the middle of that story, we get this story about a nameless hemorrhaging woman before the story returns to the story about Jairus and his daughter. And what I want to suggest to you is that, at least this morning, I wanted to pull out three things. That Jesus goes with us on the worst of our days. Secondly, that Jesus makes room for people on the margins. And thirdly, um, the poor, how the poor become our teachers. So let's look at this first layer. So look at verse 21 with me. It says, When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she may be healed and live. 
So Jesus has been on the other side uh, in, in the region of the Gerasenes, which was a Gentile region. Uh, so it was an unclean region. It was, a, it was a, a place where people farmed pigs, which made it an unclean region. Uh, then he was in a cemetery, a place of the dead, a place that was unclean for a rabbi to go into. And there he met a man with a hundred unclean spirits. And then there's that incredible story where Jesus restores this man by sending the demons into the pigs and they run off the edge of a cliff and die, right? And the Gentile farmers are so frightened by Jesus that they actually plead with him to leave the area. And what's amazing about that story is Jesus honours their request. So even though he's the Lord of life, and they, when they ask him to leave, he does. What's profound, he leaves this man as a witness to the gospel in that place, the man who was formerly de demon-possessed. But even in that, asking him to go away, there's a grace from Jesus that he leaves them with witness. But then we find him now on the other side of the lake, uh, and this time, in contrast, he's welcomed by this huge crowd who are pressing on him. They're excited to see him. And emerging from the crowd is someone who's given a name and a title. We meet Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Right? So this important man in his community, important enough to be named and his title noticed. But suddenly in the story of his life, those two things don't matter much anymore because it's probably the worst day of his life because his daughter, his 12-year-old daughter, is on the edge of life and death. And suddenly all that kind of status that he's built up in his life doesn't matter anymore. And he emerges from this crowd and he falls at Jesus' feet and pleads with Jesus to come to his house to, to touch his daughter so that she might be healed. When we come to this story, I, I don't know if, when you reflect about your life, but it seems often we spend much of our lives trying to build up significance and security, to, to be known by name, and to have status, right? And then suddenly something happens, whether it's an illness or a job loss or a conflict, and, and all that time we've been investing into our name and our status, we realize that doesn't matter anymore because something at the very foundation of our life has been rocked. And we find ourselves at the end of our own resources. We've discovered that as churches through COVID, hasn't it? Suddenly everything we've been doing, every activity that we perform, we, we couldn't do. Mark Sayers has said this, he said, about the last few years, he said, two accelerants, first the pandemic and now Ukraine, moving the world into a whole new phase, two short years filled with levels of change that normally take decades, a reordering of the world at hyper speed, right? So not only have our personal lives, the foundations been shaken, but even in the lives of our churches, the foundations have been shaken. And when we ask the question, how does God feel about us at those moments of our lives? Can we trust him? We read of Jesus' beautiful response in verse 24. So here is Jesus, the Son of God, on a mission from God. And he's asked to go off track. And he does. Verse 24, these four simple words. So Jesus went 
with him. Jesus goes with Jairus on the worst of his days. Jesus is approachable. He's distractible. You can ask him to come and he will go with you on the worst of your days. Jesus is approachable. Jesus is interruptible. And whatever is going on in your life right now, he knows about it and he sees. And you can invite him into that space in your life. So Jairus and Jesus begin this journey to Jairus's place. But then we get uh, what looks like a, an interruption. And we'll discover here how Jesus makes room for people on the margins. It says in verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she was getting worse. So just for a moment, this man, Jairus, who had significance and a name, his story was pushed to the margins, while another person comes onto center stage. And we find out this person is nameless, and in fact that she's bleeding, she's been hemorrhaging for many years. And these two things tell us that this was a person who genuinely lived on the margins. She, she was, because of her bleeding, she was isolated from temple worship. She was ceremonially unclean. So she was cut off from the life of worship. She was cut off from her local community. And not only that, we find out that she's been so desperate that she spent all the money that she had on doctors, but no one had been able to heal her and help her. So she was poor in every sense of the word, and that's what poverty does. It's like this uh, complex ecosystem of factors that leaves someone with a profoundly marred sense of identity. And that's this woman's story. She is intensely vulnerable at this moment in her life. But not only do we meet someone in this woman who's vulnerable and poor, which is part of her story, we also see hints of capacity and perhaps someone who maybe is an exemplary disciple. See, in verse 27 and 28, you find out that when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I touch, just touch his clothes, I will be healed. You know, Maybe I'm reading something extra into this, but I wanted to just jump into this first phrase. When she heard about Jesus, see, in Mark chapter 4, the whole chapter was about how you hear Jesus. What separates the crowd from the disciples is someone who actually hears Jesus and responds. Um, Jesus says over and over and over again, whoever has ears, let them hear. He talks about how someone who listens to his teaching is someone who, is someone who uh, hears and accepts and then produces a crop. So here we have a woman who hears about Jesus, right? And then she does something. She actually does something about what she's heard. She responds. But then we, we see even this idea of maybe an exemplary disciple in her response to Jesus. Because, you know, Jairus is a man of faith, right? He, Jesus is there in, in the context of his life. And he responds by going to Jesus to ask for help. So that demonstrates faith. 
But he, he emerges from the crowd, he addresses Jesus to his face. Even though he falls to his feet and pleads for Jesus to come with him, he does ask Jesus to divert his path, come to his house, touch his daughter, so that she may live. Now contrast this to this woman. She comes from behind Jesus, and she's just thinking, if I can just touch a tuft of his robe, I will be healed. She doesn't want to divert Jesus. She doesn't, doesn't want to take him off path. She doesn't want to distract. She just wants to get in there, get her healing, and then go. It seems like Jairus has faith, but this woman has faith. Does that make sense? So, and this is what happens next. She, she sneaks up, she touches Jesus, and she gets her healing. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So as she's lived her life unnoticed, unimportant, she plans to sneak away unnoticed, unimportant. But Jesus won't have it, right? Jesus won't have it. He says, who touched me? Who touched me? Uh, the disciples pipe up. We found out in Luke's gospel, it's actually Peter. And he said, look, there's this mosh pit of people around you, like constricting you. And you're asking who touched you? And, and Jesus does what he often does with Peter. He just ignores him and repeats his question. He says, who touched me? Now, this woman, she doesn't want to be noticed. She knows in her society, if an unclean person touches a rabbi, it doesn't always end well. Maybe the crowds will push her away, maybe kick her away, throw rocks at her. She doesn't know how this story is going to end. Yet Jesus, Jesus asks for her, he he carves out a space for her at the center stage of this story. And it says she realizes she's not going to get away with what she's just done unnoticed. So she falls at Jesus' feet and verse 33 says this, The woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. In other words, she was put on center stage and she shared her testimony. She told the story of her life, how desperate her life had become, how much she needed help. And then the story of her determined faith to get to Jesus. And the whole crowd had just seen it. And then she told the story of how Jesus had touched her life and he changed everything for her. And again, she doesn't know how this story is going to end. But at this moment, we hear Jesus' incredibly beautiful response to this needy woman. This incredibly beautiful response in verse 20, 34. He, he said to her, daughter, hear that? She doesn't think she's anything. He says, you're a daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So this story began about a desperate father with a desperately sick little girl. And he was um, so urgent in wanting to seek her healing. He didn't care if he made a fool of himself, if he made a scene. You know, as long as he could get Jesus to touch his daughter and she might live. But here in the middle of that story, we've got a story about Father God who loves this daughter who's broken and marked. And Jesus is prepared to make a scene so that she might be restored to the Father heart of God. This incredibly beautiful moment. 
And this is what the work of walking in the name of Jesus with the poor is all about. Uh, a guy called uh, Jayakumo Christian wrote this beautiful book called um, The God of the Empty-Handed. And he said this, Jesus enabled the vulnerable to lift their heads high, to recognize their own dignity, to begin to see themselves in a new light. And after their encounter with Jesus, they are transformed into people who know themselves to be God's children. So this story tells us that, you know, this, this Jairus, this important man with significance, but he's put on pause and this space is carved out for this nameless, insignificant woman. Um, this story wants us to know that the Jairuses of this world and their families are really, really important, that Jesus sees their story and responds. But he also wants us to stop, I think, and carve out spaces of the vulnerable and marginalised and unnamed. So everything we do is lo as local churches in ministry is really, really important. But even in the midst of those things, we, we're to carve out space for ministry to the marginalised. And the beautiful thing about Nawi Baptist Church is you practice this. You know, it's, it's not just the 162 sponsorships. I, I don't know if you know this, but just about every major appeal we've launched in the last two years, you guys have been with us. So in places like Lebanon, where one in four people is a refugee, you guys have been part of the Middle Eastern appeal. In places like Ukraine, where we've lost 400 Baptist churches, right? Um, where, where, where little churches are actually, like there's this, this little beautiful image of this one, one Baptist church in Chelms in Poland, where they just push back their pews or their musical instruments and filled it with stretches, right? And they bought three washing machines. And, uh, and the, the, the church sanctuary is just now a place of refuge for Ukrainian refugees. And you guys have been part of that story when you give to the Ukraine appeal, uh, to the Afghanistan appeal, one of the forgotten places where 23.9 million people live on the edge of the edge of famine. You guys have been part of that. So I want to say thank you as people who keep an eye on the vulnerable and marginalised and ask you to keep your hearts open as the relentless needs of the world um, unfold before us. Finally, uh, I want to just for a moment mention this idea of walking with the poor. You see, it's when we walk with the poor, like Jairus and this nameless woman did for a moment in their lives, we find out there's a chance to give and to bless and be generous. So we get to become more like God intended us to be as we go from tight-fisted to open-handed. But there's also an opportunity to grow and be inspired and taught about the true nature of discipleship as we walk with the poor. You see, Jairus has this incredible moment in verse 35. It says, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? And overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. See, this story looks like, the story of this woman looks like an interruption at this point, doesn't it? Like a very serious interruption that has caused the death of his daughter, maybe. But... 
But as we read on, we find out maybe this story isn't just an interruption, but maybe indeed this woman is an example of faith. Because Jairus has this choice, does he bother Jesus anymore? When evidence suggests it's way too late for Jesus to do anything in this story. Does he bother Jesus or does he go with Jesus? And I guess there's this real sense for all of us that we have to answer this question with our life struggles too. We, we get to a point where we're tempted. Man, I don't know if I want to keep bothering Jesus with my life anymore. I don't know if you've ever been called a God-botherer in your life. right? I think this is maybe the text where that idea comes from. But all these people are telling Jairus not to bother Jesus anymore. So what does Jairus do? How does he respond when all the factors seem to point that maybe I shouldn't bother Jesus. You know, where does he turn to, for an example? Well, he's, actually just, he's actually just seen this woman who's been an example of what dogged faith looks like. Uh, what kind of trust does Jairus need? What kind of faith does Jairus need? He needs the same kind of faith and trust that this woman displayed. So if we fast forward this story, thankfully we find out that Jairus keeps bothering Jesus. And in verse 41, we find Jairus and Jesus inside the little girl's room, and this is what happens. He says, He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Though Jairus had a name and a title, he, need to walk, he needed to walk with this woman who was nameless and marginalised to learn what true faith looked like. You know, another author called Bryant Myers in the book Walking with the Poor says this, the, the poor and the non-poor need God's redemptive help to recover their true identity as children of God, made in God's image and their true vocation as productive stewards, given gifts by God to contribute to the well-being of all. See, helping the marginalised is not we as the rich bending down to our inferior to offer help, to lift them up. We're actually two people made in the image of God, broken and falling, needing a relationship with Jesus to reconcile us to God. But then we walk together in our goal of becoming like Christ, the perfect image of God. You know, together as we walk hand in hand through this life journey, we become what God has called us both to be. And the child sponsorship journey is a way of doing that. Not the perfect way by any means. But it's actually about engaging in a relationship that changes both of you for the sake of the kingdom of God. And I thought I'd finish by telling you the story of Sri Lee. And it's not a spectacular story, but it's wonderful. Sri Lee uh, became a child partner in Cambodia when she was three years of age. Um, and she's now 18. She's just graduated from high school. Um, but during that time, she has grown and developed um, significantly. Like she's, 
She's a Sunday school teacher. So on Sundays during the COVID, when a little, the churches couldn't meet, she'd jump on a phone and she'd teach Sunday school. Um, she'd also became someone who, was, uh, who, who trained others in COVID hygiene. So she'd go around talking about hand washing and PPE gear and all those kinds of things. And now she's kind of this inspiration in her community. You know, just a simple little story of the difference of walking with the poor makes. Uh, Lai Kai, who's our church mobilization manager in, in Cambodia, says this. Your partnership encourages us and reminds us that we are all together standing in God's faith. I love you to remember that God is with you on the worst of days. To keep making room for those on the margins. And to allow the poor to be your teacher. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you for your word and this incredible story that reveals the nature of you, our God, who is there for us on the worst of days. In Jesus' name, amen.